As we roll down this unfamiliar road And although this wave is stringing us along Just know you're not alone Cause I'm gonna make this place your Great job, yeah. <clears throat> Appreciate all the work that our AV team puts into things like that. On your seat, you'll find the notes for today. If you want to grab them, you can follow along with me in the message. Our series is called Destinations, and it's what we're talking about this summer. While you do that, I've got one quick uh, housekeeping piece of information that I need to bring to you. This is the last weekend for our uh, kids' summer camp. So this is grades 3 through 6. If you have kids that fall into that range right there, or maybe even grandkids, we could say it either way, you'd like them to go, this is the last weekend for them to uh, be able to sign up and to, to be able to go to camp. So two things, here's how you would sign up. Our website, jfc.org, jfc.org, go there, and all the information on how to sign them up is, uh, is on there. Here's the question, though, that I thought if a parent were to ask me, you know, um, why, why summer camp? What would you recommend? How, how do we get our kids involved? Or how do we make sure long-term that what's being taught is going to stay with them? I, I got this great thing that the Lord showed me 
Um, so this is my 26-year full-time ministry. Started out as a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for a number of years. And I, I, I had this conversation a couple weeks ago um, with, some, with some kids. They're adults now. They go to our church, but they were in my youth group years and years ago. And we were just talking about um, all the different ones who go to our church now who were in the youth group then. And I, I found a common denominator, and here's what it was. The kids who did mission trips, the kids who were part of camps, the kids who, um, who did, the kids who had experiences with God beyond just showing up and going to church for an hour and 15 minutes on a weekend, are the kids who are there later on. And I, I think, I, I mean, I'm not a social scientist, but my, my analogy of it is simply this. When you have the opportunity to experience God, the thing that holds you in place the rest of your life is experiencing God. And the, if you just put it in your own, your own experience, you're here this morning not with the hope that you're, you're experiencing church. I bet you came this morning because you love God, you've experienced God before, and you want to experience Him again this morning. Is that fair? And I'm telling you then, you want to pass that on to your kids. Easiest way to do it. Whenever we have camps and things like that, they are set up so that the kids will have multiple ways to experience the presence of God. And whether it be through activities or whether it be through times of great worship. You know what our camps, folks, they bring, they bring the bands up there. They worship. They have services. They do all the fun stuff too. But it's very serious when they do the spiritual things. And I would just encourage you, if you're just like... Um, Hey, I'm looking for a way where it increases the odds long-term that my kids are going to serve God. These are the kind of things to be involved in. So, jfc.org, sign up. It's a great investment on your child's behalf for the future of their spiritual life. All right, enough of that. Uh, destinations, and uh, here's, here's what we're doing. We took the theme, because it's vacation season and people are in and out on their vacations, we said, let's, let's take the theme of destinations, let's weave that um, as, a, as our summer message, and let's take the different things that happen on vacation, the different things that go along with traveling and, and, and the idea of destinations, and let's, let's take that to the Bible, and let's use those different subjects to teach on. So um, last week, I taught on being delayed, and you remember that, that I, I said it's a little more than being delayed, it's learning how to wait well. This week, I had a chance to put it into practice. Anybody else? I, I had to fly from Denver to Indianapolis and back. I was only there for two days. Uh, took one of our sons out to look at a university out there. And um, we, we were flying Frontier, and the plane was delayed going to Indy. And then the, the plane was delayed coming back from Indy. And my son has very selective memory. It's the most amazing thing. He can't remember what he's supposed to do. But he can tell you to the nth degree what I'm supposed to do. So we get stuck waiting to leave DIA to go to Indy. And I, can, I don't know if you've had the experience, but the moment they delay the plane, it's like this little thing goes off on the inside of me and I fight. the fight starts. And, and have you experienced this? They do it in 15-minute increments. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That I, I, there's, a, there's a reason. Psych, psychologists tell you, that if you can, it, there's, there's, a, there's a name for it, that if you can get people to wait in 15-minute increments, you can get them to wait <laughs> their whole life without getting that upset. 
So you never give them the whole enchilada, give them 15-minute bites. Well, they had done this two or three times, and I was starting to get mad, and my son reached over, and he goes, Dad, this is a great chance for you to learn to wait well. (laughs) If he wasn't bigger than me, I would have fought him right there on the spot. No, I would not. So we had a chance to practice that, and we had some fun. I received this email, and it was indicative of a lot of the email, the comments that went on this week from last week's message. It read this way, your message was right on. I have forced some issues, I have forced some life issues instead of being patient and waiting for God and have made a mess. Anybody else relate to that from time to time? The person goes on to write a great tagline, I tell myself when things are questionable or make me nervous in life. Quote, my faith is greater than my fear, and it keeps me moving forward. Seemed to be very indicative of what I heard this week and what was written to me, and I just thought how interesting that is. That came from a different campus, and, you know, all of our campuses, as they tune in and they're listening right now and they're a part of our services, you know, it, it just really, it ministers to me personally when I hear back from you on how God is using these things in your life. Today, we're going to make a little bit of a change in the message. Today, we're going to talk about, are we there yet? How many of you ever heard that on a vacation? Are we there yet? Next to that, I wrote a Pinto in 1975 going to Phoenix. Yes, ooh. You get, a, you get an instant picture with those words, don't you? Here was the deal. In 75, my mom bought a brand new Ford Pinto. And in order to save money, she got it without air conditioning. And we decided to break it in on a trip to Phoenix in the summertime. So we took off for Phoenix. And I was 76. I was 12 years old. I'm in the back of the Pinto. And I remember the plan to keep cool was to roll the window down. And that works when you're in Colorado. But as soon as you hit Arizona, the wind is just unbelievably hot and I remember beginning to ask the question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And it seemed like every time I would ask it, she would just, her her answer was that 15-minute increment. Just a little while longer. Just a little while longer. We probably had 600 miles to go, but just a little while longer. What a deal. It was a hard trip. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Using that thought and having a little fun with that, here's, here's what I'm going to teach today on Father's Day, the person who's steering is in charge of getting you where you're going. I put down the job of a pilot, really, when you boil it all down, when you get rid of everything else, the job of a pilot is to get you where you're going. Do you agree with that statement? They're there to navigate. They're there to make sure that you end up in the right place. Recently, we had the opportunity to fly to Hawaii. I thought of this statement that it's a pilot's job to get you where you're going in terms of going to Hawaii. How important is it that a pilot ends up at the right place at the right time when he's flying to Hawaii? How many of you would be okay if he only missed it by a half mile? (laughs) Get what I'm saying here. The Hawaiian Islands are some of the most remote islands in the world. 2,500 miles separates their shore from the nearest other shore. You fly a long way over vast amounts of oceans to end up on these tiny specks of beautiful islands. It's not good enough to get close, is it? 
You don't want the pilot to radio back and say, look out the window. Aren't they beautiful? Unfortunately, I miscalculated and we don't have enough gas to get there. You don't want to find out that he got you close, nearby, or in the vicinity. The pilot's job is to make sure that you end up where you're supposed to end up. Do you agree with that statement? Okay, I'm going to throw this in as a bit of a bridge to connect you to where I want to go today, but I believe that a father's job, a dad's job, is to help navigate like a pilot. It's his job to help get his kids where they need to be. I will say it one more time. It's the job of a dad to help get his kids where they need to be. Dads, it's not good enough to get them close. You don't want to get them nearby the goal. You don't want to get them sort of towards the issue. You want to make sure that you're skilled enough in your ability as a dad that you help your children arrive where they need to be when they need to be. Do you agree with that statement? I believe that a dad helps to navigate as a pilot. In Psalms 127, verses 3 through 5, it's written this way. Children are a gift from the Lord. Let me stop. Now, I joke a lot about kids and joke a lot about, you know, after raising five of them, you have to learn to laugh. It's the only way you make it. But the bottom line is, kids are a kiss from God. Do you agree with that? So when the Bible writes, children are a gift from the Lord, I totally agree with that. In fact, if you're a parent this morning trying to have a child, uh, let me stop and go this way. If having children was easy for you, maybe you don't relate to what I'm about to say, but if you sit here this morning and you desperately want a child, and I read the sentence, a child is a gift from God, you recognize for the person who so desperately is trying to have a child, you recognize how precious those words are. Yes or no? Folks, children are a blessing, a gift. The Bible says they're God's payment to us. They're important. When the writer of these powerful words writes down, children are a gift from the Lord, it sets up before anything else is said the idea that we're to understand that Children are our treasure, and that as our treasure, it's our job to take care of the treasure. It's our job to make sure that the treasure is watched after, is brought upright, is, is, is helped. So the writer of this Psalms goes on to say, they are a reward from God. Look at this sentence. Children born to a man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. A quiver happens to be five arrows. So here's what the Bible is saying. Children in the hands of a warrior are like arrows that can be shot in a direction. When you take a young child, and as a dad, you're skillful in your understanding of what you're supposed to do, you have the opportunity, like that pilot, to get your children where they need to go. As children are given to a man, they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. What a warrior knows how to do is to pull back the bow with the arrow and to shoot it so that the arrow arrives at its intended direction. The Bible is teaching right here the very idea of fatherhood, that a skilled father is able to take his children and help to navigate them through life, getting them to the direction, hitting the target, as it were. 
I like the wording there. I like the understanding of it. I'm going to say right below that, see if you can agree with this statement, that dads, if you get that your job is to help navigate your children, then there is power in your words, power in your blessing over your children's lives. Do you agree with that statement? Now let me give you two quick truths so that I can set this message up and then the meat of this is here at the bottom. So let me just go quickly and, and teach this. The power of your blessing, two truths. Number one, God is a blesser and God wants us to bless others. God is a blesser and God wants us to bless others. Numbers chapter 6 verses 23 through 27 is a very powerful prayer of blessing. Now before I read it, let me give you the context. The day and the age that we live in it is not necessary for a pastor to stand up and to tell you personally what God is saying to you. You can hear from God as easy as I hear from God because the Holy Spirit lives in you. But in the Old Testament, God's design at the fall of man is that he created the priesthood and the priesthood had this job. The priesthood, Aaron and the high priesthood, was to stand up and to speak to people on behalf of God what God was saying to them. And God had this one command that he gave the priesthood that they were to follow. And this was it. No matter what message you speak to my people, whether it be a difficult message, whether it be an easy message, whether it's a teaching message, whether it's a training message, whether it's a message that rebukes somebody, corrects somebody, encourages somebody, doesn't matter. Whatever you teach, you have to end it with one thing. You end it with the blessing. We call it the benediction. If you go to any type of a formal church, a mainline denomination, you've probably heard these words at the end of the message, and they go like this. The Lord said, speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. Bottom line, I want one more time for it to be said. The high priest's job was to speak on behalf of God to the people about what God was saying. But regardless of what the message was, God wanted it ended with one thing. I want you to bless my people when it's all said and done so that my people know I have the final word on their life and the final word on their life is you're blessed. The enemy doesn't get the final word. The world doesn't get the final word. Your boss doesn't get the final word. Your spouse doesn't get the final word. Your children, your circumstance, your situation doesn't get the final word. God gets the final word on your life, and here's the final word. He blesses you. God, more than four people should be excited about that. God blesses you. God is for you. God is not against you. It is God's idea. God is a blesser, the source of all blessing. All blessing come from God. How about this? We're most like our Father when we do what our Father does. Amen. Does that make sense? We're most like our Father when we do what our Father does. Our Father blesses us. We should bless others. Amen. No matter what you have to say to your children, you should learn to end by blessing them. If you have to discipline them when it's over with, bless them. When you praise them, bless them. When you teach them, bless them. Your words have power. The power of the blessing. Two truths. God is a blesser 
and wants us to bless others. The second truth is this. There is no neutrality on this issue. Proverbs 18.21. Do you find it in your notes right there? Do you see it? On the count of three, I want everyone to read it out loud with me so you can see it for yourself. One, two, three. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. What is that teaching? It's teaching that words have power. They either build up or they blow up. But there is no neutrality. Fathers, you need to understand this today. You cannot be Switzerland when it comes to what's going on in the spiritual life of your children. You cannot be neutral. You're either building up or you're blowing up. But you can't take a neutral place to how you raise your children. I had a guy told me one time, listen, I'm going to allow my children to grow up. And then when they're older and they're, they're able to decide for themselves, then I will speak to them about spiritual issues. Sir, here's the mistake. You have abdicated your position as a spiritual authority in their life. The enemy and the world will step into the void that you have been quiet in. And by the time you think, you think that they're left alone in a vacuum to grow up and to make up their own mind, every magazine, every television show, every movie is pumping them full of the philosophy of this world. Amen. So by the time you're going to enter into the situation, you've given them 18, 19, 20, 21 years of indoctrination by the enemy of this world, and you're suddenly going to come in and change it? No way. You, you get a kid when they're little, you get a blackboard that's not written on yet. Your job is to begin writing right off the bat. This is who you are. This is what God says. This is what you can become. Your words have power. I, I, I would demonstrate it this way, that if you take a child when they're young, Amy, my oldest, sits right here. I used to tell her, this was, this was our, our thing for my oldest child. I would pull her aside, and I, what would I tell you? You can do anything you want to do, except stay up late. <laughs> Date certain people. Yes, there were certain things that, but I would tell, you can become anything you want to be. I would pull her aside. It doesn't matter what was going on. I would just pull her aside. I would whisper in her ear, you can be anything you want to be. You can do anything that you want to do. I will help you. I am with you. You can do anything that you want to do. And the confidence that began to put into my child, absolutely unbelievable. Now, she is the campus pastor of, of this, this campus right here. Her and her husband, Marcus, doing a remarkable job in their, in their 20s. It's a lot of responsibility to have handed to you when you're in your 20s. But they're handling it so well and learning so much and doing so well, and I'm so proud of them. But part of it came from the confidence of knowing I can, we wrote on that blackboard a long time ago, God has a purpose and a plan for your life. I also told her, the devil has a purpose and a plan for your life. Listen, maybe, maybe I say it this way. There are two troughs that we eat from every day. There's the trough of this world, and then there's the one that God wants us to eat from. If you, you broker, look at me, wake up and look at me. You broker the world you're most aware of. You relate the world that you are most aware of. If all you do is spend your time eating from this world, then your opinion, your understanding, your mindset is what the world says about people and what the world says about things. 
if you are engaged with God, and that is your job. Believer, look at me. Your job above everything else, engage with God. As it is in heaven, so should it be on the earth. What does it look like there? Because that's what it's supposed to look like here. Our job is to engage this way so that when we interact this way, we're bringing this here. So I need to hear from heaven. How does God feel about my children? So that what I'm telling them is not just dreams and wishes, but it's the reality. God called you with a special call. At a young age, you're going to do mighty things. You write those things down, you begin to tell those things, and here's the deal. You can call forth a destiny, and I can prove it to you on the other. Take that same child and tell them from the earliest of days, you were a mistake. We didn't want you. We didn't plan for you to be here. You have just cost us a lot of money. You bring us trouble. You're calling forth a destiny, yes or no? Yes or no? You'll get what you write on that blackboard. There's no neutrality in the issue. Dads, dads, we live in a day and an age where we're told that really doesn't matter. Kids are just as well off without a dad as they are with a dad. That is a load of bull. Your children need you. I ran into a man in the parking lot last night. This is what he said to me. He said, my child lives in Cheyenne, and I have not done a good job as a father, but you gave me hope. Good. Good. I don't know any perfect father. I don't know any father who hasn't blown it. This message, I'm not talking down to any dad. I'm trying to encourage men. I'm trying to tell you, here's your place. Your words have an authority and a power, and God wants to use you in the life of your child, and it's never too late. Let me give you five ways, five ways that you can do this today. Five ways that you can take your words and you can bring life to your children today. We're going to use Jesus as our model. In my mind, Jesus is what we're aiming at. In Matthew 3.17, Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the Jordan, a voice from heaven it's the Father speaking over the Son says this, This is my Son, whom I love, with Him I am well pleased. Why the perfect Father and the perfect Son had to exchange these words, I don't know, because everything was absolutely perfect. But I think that because Jesus is our model, it probably is more of a teaching for us to understand that if Jesus needed the words of his father over his life, our children need the words of their father over their lives. So let me give you five ways to do this today. Number one, here's what your words should do. Your words should affirm and approve your child. I make this statement. We live for or from our father's approval. We live for or from our father's approval. We live for or from our father's smile. I don't know why it is, but God designed it. It doesn't matter how old you are. Every man in this room loves to hear his father say, I'm proud of you. Don't know why it is. Here's my story. At three years old, my father didn't come home one day. 
left the family, no forwarding address. I didn't meet him again until I was 30 years old. My mom, after several years of realizing this man is not coming back, she met a man. His name was John Leach. He was a wonderful man. He adopted me and my brother. He gave us his name. He, he, he pulled us in as his own. And he began to give me what a father should give a son. The approval and the acceptance and the blessing. Tragically, when I was 11 years old, he was killed in a car accident. And my mom met another man. And he was an alcoholic. He was physically and emotionally abusive and she married him. And here's the funny thing. That guy had no idea how to be a dad. And even though he was a lousy man, I craved his approval. Can you believe that? I craved for that guy to tell me, I'm proud of you. And I'm going to say this to you. I'm 48 now. And here's what happens. I'm not teaching anyone in this room that if you don't get these words from your father, you can't be successful. That's not what I'm teaching. Here's what I am teaching. When your father gives you these words, it makes your life easier and puts it in a context where you enjoy success. Here's my deal. I actually use success as the proof. that I'm worth something. I don't know if you just heard what I said. You know, my deal is I stand up here week after week and I open my heart up so that people can look inside of it. And it's not easy. What did I just said? Just because you don't have their approval doesn't mean you can be successful. Here's the problem though. When you don't get their approval, you end up performing. What you want, when you don't have your dad tell you I approve of you, you end up working so hard that you want other people to say, well done, you did a good job. And you know the problem with that? You never know where the finish line is. So you work 60 hours or 70 hours or 80 hours, and whatever you do, it's never good enough. You're your, the devil doesn't have to do anything to you because you're your own worst critic. Any man or woman understand what I'm talking about? Oh, you can be successful, but here's the problem with the success. You don't enjoy the success. Instead of being able to stop and go, hey, well done, you think to yourself, got to get up and do this all again tomorrow. Got to make it happen next week. You're looking for that. Th God designed every child in this room to need the approval of the parent, but in particular, they need that father's approval. Here's why. It gives them permission to rest. You didn't hear me. It gives them permission to enjoy success. It gives them permission to be okay with what they've done. A oh. little different message than last night, huh, Marcus? Boy, it was amazing how God will take the same message and speak something different depending on who's listening to it. Five ways that you can do this today. The second one, words that specify love and affection. Several years ago, Time Magazine read an article, or wrote an article, read this way. 
top three things that people want to hear. Top three things people want to hear. One, all is forgiven. Two, time for dinner. Three, I love you. Why, why do those three words carry such power? You know what's funny about it? Here's, here's the deal. It's not the words because you can say the words and not mean it and it has no effect on a person, does it? But when you mean it, when a man, listen to this, when a man looks into the eyes of his wife, into her soul, and says, I love you, and means it, that woman is his lock, stock, and barrel, yes or no? When you look at your children, and you can say, do you know how much I love you? Their hearts are forever yours. I had coffee with a man last week. He's a year older than I am. And we were talking about this subject, and Here's what he said to me. He said, I grew up with a really good dad. He said, but I always wondered if my dad liked me. He said, my dad would always tell me that he loved me, but he never said, I like you. And I'm kind of like, you know, aren't they sort of one and the same in a way? And he goes, no, let me, let me just kind of point it out to you. He said, I think that, you know, parents have to love the kid, but they don't have to like you. He said, so I took my dad out, and we were just sitting there, and he said, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, do you like me? And he said, my dad stopped, put the coffee cup down, looked at me, and this is what the dad said, how can you even ask me that question? He said, my whole life, I have shown you how much I love you. And his kid goes, I know you love me, but do you like me? And the dad looked at him and said, you are my best friend. Of course I like you. And this is what the guy says to me. He said, I don't know why that meant so much. And now the guy is crying in Starbucks, and I'm sort of like. <laughs> but it goes deep to the heart of the person. Those words, I love you, when they are spoken in reality, there are no more powerful words. God so loved that he gave the motivating factor is love. Love, the ability to express love. Dads, here's what I know. I don't know that I've ever really met a man who didn't love his children. I know there are some bad men. I know there are evil men out there. But I don't know that I've ever met a man who didn't love his child. But I've met a lot of men who didn't know how to tell their child that they loved them. So men work like crazy. And when they work that hard, what they're saying is, I love you. And they come home every day. They cut the grass, they pay the bills, they paint the house, they send the kids to school, they make sure that they have clothes. They're willing at the drop of a hat to defend them, to stand up for them. All the time, by doing those things, they're saying, I love you, but they never express the words, I love you. And I don't know why it is difficult for a man to say that, but sir, would you hear me this morning? And would you, as father, this is Father's Day, rather than thinking, what am I going to get? Think, what can I give today? Make a call. 
Look your kid in the eye. My family's all going to gather at my house in just a couple of hours. All but one who's on a mission trip. So I'll have four of my children there. My son-in-law, who's a son to me in every way. And they will tell me that they love me. But I take every opportunity to tell them that I love them. You know, it's a little bit weird, but every email I sign to my son-in-law, I write, I love you, Marcus. Words that commend and compliment. Jesus had these really powerful words spoken over him. This is my son, whom I love, and with him I'm well pleased. What is it about when a dad tells a son or a daughter, you please me, that is so wonderful? Telling your child that they please you is absolutely critical in the development of the child. Now let me say this to you. Some of you today are raising little ones. And this message, in a way, is very applicable to the words that you're speaking on a day-to-day basis. Some of you, like me, have raised your children. They're out of the house. They're past that adolescent stage. They're adults now. Your words still matter. Your words still have an effect. Tell them, today, I love you. I approve of you. And if you have a kid whose behavior is not what you want, learn to separate behavior from the child. I'll finish with this one. I'm not going to finish with this one. Words that invoke hope and self-confidence. I wrote down this sentence. You were saved when you believed in Jesus. Listen to this. But you were changed when you realized he believed in you. Words that invoke hope and self-confidence are absolutely critical. We went to Butler University this past weekend, and my son said to me last night, Dad, please don't make a big deal out of this. And I said, Son, there are a few things in life that are better than a dad getting to brag on his kid. And he said, Yeah, if I'm not there, you can do it. Now, what he meant was, once he goes to school, I can do it. But he didn't specify that, and he's not here in this service this morning. <laughs> so we were at Butler University, and he wants to play football, and they've offered him a chance to go to Butler and play football. So we were there meeting with the coach this last week, and we had a great meeting. and It was a really wonderful thing. We were walking down the tunnel out on the field. They wanted to give him the feeling of what it looked like coming down that tunnel. We were walking down that tunnel. It was real dark, and you could see light at the end of the tunnel. We walked down on the tunnel. We come out on the field. And, it, you know, it's a Division One deal, and it's, it's, it's pretty exciting. And we walk out there, and I look over at him. And he, I, I can just see how excited he is. And the coach says, no, David, nothing's for sure. He said, we'll give you a chance, but the rest is up to you. And I had kept my mouth shut up till that point, letting my son speak and talk and tell the coach what he needed to tell. I felt like, you know, it's part of back off here. But I jumped in between him and the coach. And I said, coach, all he needs is one person right now 
to believe in him. I said, see, you told him he wasn't big enough and you don't know what a mistake they made. I said, he's got more heart. He led his team in tackles the last two years. He's got hit of the year the last two years. I know he's only 5'8", but he plays like he's 6'3", 250. Give him one chance and you will not regret it, coach. That's all I'm going to tell you. And then I kept telling him. I want him to walk with such self-confidence, not. There's a difference between arrogancy and self-confidence. And the difference sometimes is the line of whether or not you can do it. He can do it, but he needs, right now he's facing this new thing, and he's been told no, and he's facing this thing right now. My words are really powerful, and I'm willing to stand up for him in front of anybody. We'll finish it with this one right here. Words that answer pain and disappointment. First Thessalonians 4.13, Paul tells the Thessalonian church that we can grieve when things happen to us, but we have to learn to grieve with hope. It's different than the world. The world grieves without hope, but we grieve with hope. I'll just finish my message with this little story right here. Both of my twins love to play sports. And if you've been in our church any length of time, they graduated two years ago from high school, and um, David was defense, Daniel was offense, Daniel was a running back, starting running back, and blew his knee out in the third game of the season. It was a terrible, terrible break. The bottom line is, after all the surgeries, they told him you'll never play again. It broke his heart, broke our heart, hurt, just hurt us for him, you know. And this is a story I, I never, I never, ever, related this story but sometimes the words of a father are not always just you can you can you can sometimes they're how to deal with tragedies and difficult things and things that we don't understand and so he'd blown his knee out and uh we wanted to put him in the car and take him home and he said no I want to stay and finish the game and he was in such pain and I helped him get in the car and I drove him home and we got into the garage and nobody else was there it was just the two of us and I, I came around, opened the door, and I was going to try to help out my son, who's bigger than I am, was trying to help him pull him out. And I get near him to pull, to pull him out. And he just laid his head on my shoulder, and he just wept. He just wept. He hadn't done that since he was a little boy. He hadn't hurt like that. He just... And there were no words to say. And there was nothing I could do. I couldn't, I couldn't fix it. I, I knew it was never going to be the same. I knew we were coming to the end of a childhood dream. That's okay. But not this way, you know? And he just wept. No words had to be said. He just wept on my shoulder. And I just held him. I don't know how much time passed. But when he was done... I said, come on, son. I said, no matter what happens to you, I'm going to walk with you. No matter where you go, I'm here. And that's all that needed to be said. I'm not the world's best father. I have made mistakes time in and time out. My daughter could tell you that sometimes I've let my words go the other way. 
and I've destroyed instead of built up. Thank God for His mercy and His grace. You know what I count on as a parent? I take my natural, and I need God to bring the super, so that there's a supernatural effect in parenting that with Him, all things become possible. Does that make sense? Where I'm so short and messed up on my ability, God wants to get involved and help. Now, this is a little different message in that I taught it to men. It's not in any way, shape, or form as a slight to any woman in this church, but it is Father's Day. Can we have Father's Day? So I want to do this. If you're visiting today, I don't want to embarrass you, but I just felt like this is what the Lord put on my heart to do for the men of our church, for dads in particular. If you're a dad or a granddad, I'd like you to stand to your feet right now. felt like the Lord just wanted me to bless the fathers that were in here. You may have never received one from your dad. Would you allow me to represent the Lord this morning, your heavenly father, and bless you? You may be in a place in your life right now where there's not a lot of blessing going on around you. Would you allow me to represent how God feels about you? how God thinks about you, would you allow me to let you know that the final word over your life is that God blesses you, that God is for you. And last, when I pray, I just want to encourage every father in this room that anything that I said, if God put anything on your heart that sparked anything that says, I could do that for my kid, or I want to do that for my kid, or I'd like to see that happen for my kid, then I'm going to encourage you to be brave this afternoon. Ask God, here's my natural, add your super to it, let's see something happen. Act on what you hear the Holy Spirit tell you. So Father, for every dad that stands in this room, if they're a young father, I want to pray right now that you would give them the understanding that their responsibility is every day to be speaking the truth of heaven. That every day they're to be calling out the good. That every day they're to be writing on that blackboard what it is that God says about the life of that child. God, I pray that the dads in this room would so engage with you that the Lord's prayer would become automatic on earth as it is in heaven. That we would begin to call forth on earth what God says it's supposed to look like and be like because that's the way it is in heaven. God sees our kids not for just where they are but for what they can be. Give us those eyes to see them for what they can be so that we begin to call out that destiny. I pray for dads who are in the same place that I'm at. Your children are all raised. They're adults at this point. You find yourself now, that empty nest thing is going on, or even way past that. You're a grandfather. 
here's what I would feel like the Lord would say to you, that He wants you to enjoy some of the fruit from your life. And that this is supposed to be a time where you get to reap fruit. And I'm going to pray over you that you would see a great harvest in the life of your children and your children's children. I pray that you would live a life, listen, the Bible says that the sins of the father go to the third and the fourth generation, but the faithfulness of God goes to the thousandth generation. I'm going to pray that you would know the faithfulness of God and it would triumph over any mistake that you've made. That you would find hope today. And I just pray for every dad in this room, regardless of your age, we live at a time when fathers are very devalued. Television makes a mockery of them as buffoons. They're written about and written off like unnecessary. But I would say to you, it's only the proof, the reason the enemy goes after dads is he realizes the importance of a father. The dads have a powerful influence that if they would only take a little bit of faith and begin to speak out, speak out. Oh, God could do so much with your words. I pray in Jesus' name, you'd capitalize today on what I've said. You'd leave this place with hope and with encouragement and knowing it matters. You matter. Boy, I just ask that the blessing of the Father be upon you. That you would know how much God approves of you. How much He loves you. That you're pleasing to Him. Sir, you are pleasing to your heavenly Father. God is not embarrassed or ashamed of you. You please Him. I ask that you wouldn't reject that right now, but that you'd hold on to that truth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Here's what we're going to do. We felt like that was really where the ministry part of our service was supposed to take place today. So we've got something a little special that we want to do for dads. It's a little drawing that uh, we prepared. Your church wants to do this for you. So um, Pastor Marcus is going to come and do this. Do me a favor. Would you welcome up our campus pastor here, Marcus Pillar. Mm -hmm.